Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Hello, welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. We were speaking a couple of weeks ago about the differences in the way that a functional medicine doctor approaches illness. And today I have as my guest, a colleague of mine, an absolutely brilliant naturopath and doctor of functional medicine, Dr. Talia Hale. I've watched Dr. Talia handle some of the most difficult chronic diseases that we ever see, including one of the most important conditions in medicine today, mast cell activation syndrome. Now this is an immune condition that has been recognized for its role in allergies, but it's gotten a lot more attention in the last couple of years as it's thought to be one of the contributors to long COVID. Long COVID is a condition in which the symptoms of COVID still persist after three months or more. There are actually people who have had it for years. In roughly eight to 10% of cases, people have had have continued to have symptoms for months and even years after their initial illness. So today I will be discussing mast cell activation with Dr. Talia and the various conditions that can arise from it, how we would approach it from a functional medicine standpoint and strategies for overcoming this syndrome. Welcome Dr. Talia Hale. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Dr. Vardy, and thank you so much for having me today. It's been so fun to follow this pod and this radio show over its time and see how it's been developing, but it, it's, been one, it's wonderful to be part of it today. Well, I'm thrilled to have you join us. Um, can you tell us uh, first a little bit about your background in medicine and how you became interested in treating um, such challenging chronic diseases? and how you specifically became interested in immune system issues. Yeah, of course. So I think as you know, and I think you'll resonate with this, is that as we learn, um, many of us like to dig deeper. And as we learn more, we realize that we don't know as much as we thought we did as we got started. So I'd say my journey started that way too. I came to naturopathic medicine because I love herbs and I love natural remedies, but I also just really gravitated towards the philosophy of trying to understand the root cause of illness and the root cause of people's illnesses. And when I first started my practice, I focused on hormones and digestive issues, along with autoimmune diseases and those intersections of those arenas. And as time progressed, I found that my patients were getting more and more complicated and they were having more multi-systemic issues. So it wasn't just their digestions and their hormones, it was other things as well. And to be honest, I was puzzled by them, but I was also inspired by the intricacy of their cases. And so I took the bull by the horns and I decided I was going to learn and figure out what was going on with these people. And slowly but surely, I started to find things like mold illness, like mast cell activation syndrome, like Lyme disease, like chronic infections of different kinds. And I just realized there was so much for me to learn. And at that stage, I started really getting into these complex conditions and putting the pieces together. And as I start to feel like I have my feet under me and I'm ready to go, you know, we get into COVID and COVID definitely threw all of us for a loop. But I'd say the practitioners who treat chronic complex diseases and treat conditions like Lyme disease and other chronic infections were already well equipped to deal with a virus like COVID. So that is the long and short of how <laughs> I got to treating these types of conditions. And absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things I love most about functional medicine is that we really look at the global things. We look at inflammation. We look at immune system issues. We look at infection. We don't just, you know, focus on, you know, oh, 
here's one doctor for your skin and, and here's another doctor for your lungs and yet another doctor for your digestive system. Um, I really love that we bring it all together. Yeah, we get the chance to be Sherlock Holmes of the body and we get to see how these things relate. And I think, you know, I'm still surprised sometimes how bodies respond to things. And at the end of the day, you know, our bodies are always looking for balance. And it's beautiful that they have multiple pathways to achieve the same thing so that if one doesn't function as well, then it takes on a different path because at the end of the day, our bodies are just trying to survive. Um, so it's always fascinating to look to see like how we're all predisposed differently and wired slightly differently. But at the end of the day, we rely on a lot of the same variables and factors. Absolutely. We really are living in a very complex and actually very toxic world. Um, I love that you mentioned Sherlock Holmes, because in my bio for many, many years, I've called myself a medical sleuth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we really do as functional medicine doctors. Yeah, that's the fun of it. <laughs> yeah. So um, you've come to focus a lot on mast cell activation syndrome, um, which is a very core and global issue that can affect a lot of things. What conditions do you see associated with mast cell activation? So obviously, there's a lot of symptomatic manifestations of mast cell activation syndrome, and a lot of people see those as conditions in and of themselves. But the thing about mast cell activation is that it does affect multiple systems of the body. So, you know, someone could have headaches, someone could have heart palpitations, someone could have joint pains, people can have digestive manifestations like bloating and cramping and reflux and loose stools. People could even find blood sugar instability, which means hangry. You know, if someone hasn't eaten in a while and they start getting irritable, that actually can be a manifestation of mast cells as well. Um, getting lightheaded when standing up. Um, you know, urinary manifestations like urinary, urinating more frequently or pain with urination. So I think, again, just like you said, a lot of people associate mast cell activation with allergies, which it can definitely look like that. But there can be numerous physical manifestations of mast cell activation that goes unnoticed as a complex. Um, so those are definitely things that I'm looking at from a symptomatic perspective. But when we do look at conditions, you know, we wouldn't be surprised with the symptoms that I listed that it's associated with irritable bowel syndrome, which is such a common issue in our, in our country, especially inflammatory bowel diseases can be related to mast cell activation. And then we go into more functional medicine world of things, but now it's moving into allopathic as well, but small intestinal bacterial overgrowth can be a common one as well. Even periodontal disease, like if there is inflammation, a lot of times we do see this in the mouth. So there can be manifestations there too. Then when we go to the more chronic complex realm, you know, we may also see it strongly associated with sick building syndrome, which is mold illness. Um, mast cell activation and mold illness go hand in hand quite often. And then other things we may see would be like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a hypermobility syndrome where people may have looser ligaments or find that they, you know, have very, um, they hyperextend their joints a lot easier and can be more prone to injury with that. And then along with COVID, which I know is one of the pieces we're going to be talking about, mast cell activation can be connected with a condition called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And that condition specifically is when, when, for example, when somebody stands up, they may find that their heart starts racing or they may feel dizzy. Um, that is very common with mast cell activation and also very common with COVID. Well, it's really easy to see why you have focused so much on this because it really is broad and it, I mean, these are conditions that affect millions of people. Um, can you talk a little bit more about long COVID? Um, and again, we can call that long COVID, long haul COVID, but it's when symptoms last for three or more months after a COVID infection. And it's estimated that 20%, 28% rather, 
28% of people who've had COVID have experienced some kind of long-term symptoms. And for 10% of people, it, they're, the symptoms are serious and persistent. So that means roughly 35 million people in the United States and 68 million people globally. And people aren't really talking about this very much. So can you tell us a little bit more about the symptoms of long COVID and what people are experiencing? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'll start off with the symptoms because I think that would help people get acclimated with what we're talking about when we're talking about long COVID. But after COVID, some people find obviously pronounced fatigue. Um, they could be in physical pain, you know, joint pains, muscle pains. They may find changes in their sleep or find difficulty sleeping. And then obviously no surprise, some people may find shortness of breath or breathlessness. And just in general, having these symptoms impair their ability to keep up with their normal activities, whether that be work or exercise um, after having the infection. Other symptoms that can come in can be obviously a lot of some people with certain strains were experiencing loss of smell and taste, um, gastrointestinal issues, headaches. Um, chest pain, tightness, sore throats. So there's a series of different symptoms that can kind that can go with long COVID. And it can be very extreme. I had one patient who um, was used to doing treks in in Alaska and suddenly wasn't able to um, walk from the 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 chair in the treatment room over to the table. I mean, he really had difficulty walking about four feet. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of patients like that and having experiences like that, but not everybody. So then, you know, the medical community is trying to get together and understand, okay, what is the difference between different patients and what might be part of why we see these, these long symptoms. And I think at the end of the day, we are still much figuring out you know, the, the nuances of that. Um, so those are definitely symptoms that we're seeing that people are experiencing and they can be quite prolonged. Can you tell us um, a little bit more about mast cell activation and exactly what's happening with the immune system? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think when we're talking about mast cell activation, you know, we need to go back to the root word, which is mast cell. So our mast cells are a cell in our body that are part of our body's first line of defense. And you'll find the highest concentrations of them. And this is what I think is really important to key into in the places in our body where our body exchanges with the outside world. So in simplistic terms, those are cells found on our skin. Those are cells in the lining of our lungs when we breathe air in. That's our nasal passages. That's our eyes, um, the tissue of our eyes and the digestive tract. So you'll find mast cells in high concentrations in these areas. And the positioning is extremely key to them because it's, it is exactly what is coming into contact with the outside world. Now, then the job is, is to screen what is coming in as either safe or dangerous. And so if something is deemed dangerous, then these cells will release chemicals like histamine. That is a key chemical that we're looking at when we're looking at mast, cell, mast cells and what they release, as well as other inflammatory chemicals as well. And that is to helpfully protect our body from any ill effects of an external piece. Um, so that's what we're looking at. And with the histamine release, um, we do see what they call, we call it vasodilation, but it's basically the vessels relaxing. And we see um, in the chest, we might see that actually seeing some constriction and which means just kind of clamping down a little bit more. So we can see a variety of effects thanks to the chemicals that are released. Now, we're still figuring out these cells as much as we know a lot about them. There is actually a lot of pieces that we're still learning to understand. 
And we do know that these cells also play a big role in our immunity by recognizing invaders um, of our immune system, like viruses and fungi and bacteria and parasites. So they do actually interact with other immune cells to support our immune system. In what way does the COVID virus trigger this issue? And you mentioned mold. In what way does mold trigger this issue? Yeah, so I think then the, in, in layman's terms, we're really looking at the dysregulated immune response from there. Like I said, our mast cells are really trying to figure out friend or foe. And mold is, you know, mold is trying to survive. It's just another organism trying to live in our world. And it, you know, I have a good colleague and she says it, you know, it's trying to decompose you, you know, so, you know. <laughs> So at the end of the day, that's where our mast cells see that as, you know, a, fo- a not a friend and more foe. And same with COVID, you know, COVID is an example of a virus that's also not considered friend within the body. But we have a series of other viruses that have come before COVID um, that have had a similar response as well. Um, I think right now, a lot of people within the chronic complex community of these chronic infections actually are starting to feel validated um, because, you know, in the past, you know, Dr. Barty, I know you're aware, but, you know, Epstein-Barr virus was is a really common virus that tends to reactivate in the body and may result in chronic fatigue. And so I think we're seeing a lot of the same things now with the COVID virus as the trigger. And like I said, I when I talk to patients, there is a part of them that's like, oh, this is nice that people talk about long COVID because this is exactly what I was experiencing before and nobody understood me. Well, and it's very true. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Epstein-Barr because that's one of the first things that I do when I get somebody with the persistent fatigue is that I I test for the Epstein-Barr and I've been finding in a lot of cases that having COVID triggers um, what was perhaps a latent condition of Epstein-Barr virus to suddenly explode. And, and that becomes one of the major factors in the fatigue. Yeah. And I think a lot of these things, like a lot of these outside offenders, you know, they come with ta- tactics. You know, they have tactics of perhaps suppressing our immune system or shifting our immune system in a way so that they can coexist in our bodies or utilize those pieces. So, again, we see that with viruses. We see that with bacteria. We see that with parasites. You know, there is this aspect of everyone's trying to trying to capitalize on the situation. Um, And these things really do change our immune system. And when it comes down to mast cells, you know, mast cells just get overactivated in these situations. And so then things that should not be considered foe get deemed foe. And so, you know, that's where we see these more exaggerated immune responses and this shift in the immune system that makes people feel more allergic, more inflamed, and just unable to appropriately respond immunologically. Mm-hmm. Well, this is really interesting. Um, We're going to go ahead and take a break here, um, and we're going to come right back. We're talking with Dr. Talia Hale um, about mast cell activation syndrome and the implications for many, many diseases, especially long COVID, um, but certainly lots of other illnesses. And we will be right back with Dr. Talia Hale. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. 
We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille, and today I'm interviewing Dr. Talia Hale, and we're talking about a very global um condition that can affect many people in many ways, mast cell activation syndrome, and, um, and particularly its uh, implications uh, in long haul COVID. Um, I was really intrigued, Dr. Talia, when you mentioned earlier um, about how um, mast cell activation can affect blood sugar, because I do see this all the time, um, where uh, it plays into the fatigue. It plays into the lightheadedness. Can you tell us more about the blood sugar issue? Yeah. So, I mean, there is a body of research showing that mast cells, which release histamine, um, and that histamine has uh, actually some some areas of emphasis in how we utilize our energy. And so, when our mast cells are out of balance and not releasing histamine as ideally as we would like to in a limited fashion, you know, we can see that there are blood sugar abnormalities that come as a result of that. So that can actually, you know, in turn um, impact what we call like insulin resistance, which is the hormone that helps us work with glucose. um, And as well as creating a glucose intolerance where you don't tolerate sugars as easily as you once did. So by supporting this condition, if someone has it, they may actually find that their blood sugar is more stable and their energy is more stable throughout the day. That's so important. And um, what about this lightheadedness issue? Um, I know that that plays into a condition called POTS. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, so POTS is a condition um, that, again, is associated with mast cell activation as well. Um, As I mentioned earlier, you know, histamine does play a role in the contracting of blood vessels as well as the releasing of blood vessels. And this is how our body actually regulates blood flow and heart rate and our blood pressure is by this muscular reaction that happens in our vessels. And so when, again, mast cell activation is involved, it can, um, it can be implicated in POTS as well. And that's that balancing point is that histamine does play a part in that squeezing and releasing of blood vessels. And when this gets dysregulated by our nervous system, um, then people may start to see symptoms of, you know, elevated heart rate or lightheadedness when they stand up um, are two of the most common manifestations of it. And what strategies would you suggest to people um, who are struggling with this syndrome? And is there anything that they can do on their own? Yeah, of course. So um, I think the biggest thing is first observing to see if you have symptoms. Like I said, um, there are multi-systemic symptoms like the hives, the allergic reactions, the digestive manifestations, and other ones as well. 
I think if there's if someone is suspecting that they have a histamine issue, um, one step that can be taken is diet modification. Um, what I like to do with all of my patients is actually start with diet modification because we actually ingest a lot of histamine through our food. And while there are a lot of variables that are not easy to control, diet is at least something that's accessible. So when we're talking about high histamine foods, these are actually really healthy foods. So people are a little bit perplexed by them. But some of the big ticket high histamine foods are tomatoes, citrus, so like lemon, grapefruit, oranges, spinach, which again, you know, we've been told, Popeye told us we should eat our <laughs> spinach, but this could actually make someone feel worse. Um, fermented foods. So again, when we talk about like health and people are always saying like, get your fermented foods, get your kimchi and your sauerkraut and your kombucha. Well, that would actually make patients with histamine issues feel worse. And that's where these people actually feel very stuck because all of the things that they read about that's good for their digestion are the things that they may not be responding well to. Um, and so those are definitely things to pay attention to. And some of the big key foods, strawberries is another really big high histamine food. So there's several um, big ticket items that can be minimized to see if that helps you to feel better. Um, the other thing is, is like histamine is actually created in food when food sits out. So protein is the most vulnerable, but as protein ages, you know, the normal and natural bacteria will actually break down the amino acids and break down the protein into histamine. So leftovers are actually a really key piece. And some patients will say, I ate the same meal two days in a row. I was fine one day, but I did terrible the next day. And that's actually a keynote thing for someone to say for me to think that histamines may be a problem. I've seen that a lot as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they can't eat the same food the next day. Yeah. And another thing is, is like people react to bone broth, which is again, another thing people say, like when you're sick or when you're not feeling well, or when you've got digestive issues, drink bone broth. But again, that protein in the bone broth and the slow cook of bone broth actually is creates a lot of histamine. So again, these people are really confused oftentimes because they're doing all the things they looked up online but it's actually making them feel worse, perhaps. And also, I think along with the with the fermentation process that we see with leftovers, there there might be a little bit of an increased mold issue there as well. Totally. Yeah. 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 And that might throw people off as well. So I know one of the things that we both see in our practice is that, that sometimes people get too sick to even follow through on self-care. Mm -hmm. They can't really take the steps that they need to get better. Um, so it sounds like some of these dietary changes are a great place where people can start. Um, is there anything else that you can recommend for people who are really sick and, and they just don't even know where to begin? Yeah, so I think another place that people can start with, um, and obviously, you know, all these things take a little bit of energy, um, but many patients have benefited from something called limbic system retraining. Now, the limbic system is the part of our brain that deals also with friend or foe. It's always trying to see like what's safe in the world and what's not safe in the world. And a lot of times when people are, are, affected by these conditions and they start to feel fatigue, there is this aspect of fear of like, how, why do I feel this way? And what are these symptoms coming from? And you start to kind of reel a little bit. Um, the limbic system retraining can actually really help people with their symptoms. Um, because a lot of times, you know, our brain is pretty powerful and what it can, can contribute to, I'm not going to say cause, but it can definitely contribute to being more and more sensitive to different factors. So the limbic system retraining, and there are several studies that have been done that have showed that that could actually be really tremendously helpful for long COVID. And that's very much like a meditation-like program. So you can look up limbic system retraining, and there's several programs that are available that can be helpful with that. 
Now, you mentioned the mind, um, and we see it a lot that stress and the adrenal glands can play a big factor. Can you speak more to that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think whenever I talk to my patients about stress, I think about it like a three-point triangle, you know, that we are looking at mental stress. So, that could be like tasks and things that need to get done. Then we look at it from an emotional perspective of loss in life or, you know, any significant changes affecting someone emotionally. But then we're also looking at the physical and the physical body, I feel like oftentimes goes unaddressed when people think about stress. And so when I think about the adrenal glands, I think about it as a very primal system. You know, it's looking at, you know, the lion chasing you and in, in primal days, the lion would either kill you or you would get out of the way and have time to rest. And in our today's, in today's society, we kind of have the perpetual lion just at our heels. And so that really creates a pretty significant stress response. So where we can relieve stress is doing the basic things that the body wants. So the baby, I always say the body is just like a baby. It wants to know when it's going to poop, when it's going to sleep, when it's going to eat. Um, so the more you can regulate that regimen, it actually helps your body to trust you and know that you've got its back and you're going to do the basic things it needs to function optimally. And so what you're saying is, is that that helps us shift back from foe to friend. Exactly. So it's like, you know, as long as your body knows, like you're not skipping meals and you're going to eat regularly and give it, you know, regular fuel and you know, have time for rest and things like that, you know, all of those things are really helpful in getting things back online. Now we've talked to what about a little bit about what people can do on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, But at what point is it essential that people seek out care and not try to work on things on their own? What are the red flags? Yeah, so Obviously, histamine issues can become very problematic. You know, I've talked about a lot of the simple symptoms, but, you know, when we're looking at histamine, you know, histamine is also a part of the process when people are going into like a allergic reaction, like an anaphylactic reaction where people's throats close up or, you know, they're getting significant constriction or asthma. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we don't want it getting to that point. I think if someone is struggling with histamine issues, I think it is actually really important to partner with a practitioner, even at the early stages, because oftentimes, like I said, you know, histamine issues are triggered by potentially multiple different immune factors like viruses and um, mold and, you know, different variables in our environment. So I think it's actually, if someone's at the point where they're having a mast cell activation issue, that I think it is really important to hook up with a practitioner to figure out what the underlying causes are so that you can heal. Um, I think there's two ways to go. You know, there are a lot of great allopathic doctors that are treating mast cell activation as well. But in the allopathic world, there's less of a treat the cause and then this could go away. More so that aspect of things is really looking at management of the symptoms. You know, how do we make the hives go away? How do we help your breathing? How do we help, you know, your help your digestive system? Um, And it's more the realm of functional medicine that we are looking at, okay, what's the underlying cause of this happening? And can we help to resolve that so you can reintegrate with the world again more comfortably. So if someone, for example, wanted to come see you for mast cell activation, um, what might people expect? What would they expect from the functional medicine approach? Yeah. So, I mean, I do do a series of labs. Mast cell activation is actually very difficult to isolate in labs because histamine actually leaves and the chemicals leave the blood pretty quickly. They don't want to stay there very long. Um, But I do run some labs that I found to be correlative and supportive. And then just like I mentioned, I always start with diet too with my patients, because the thing is, is again, we want to reduce exposure where possible so that then we can do other testing to look at potential causes like viral causes or other infections or mold or things like that and see, you know, what is really 
contributing to this immunologic response that's gone a little sideways. And then from there, once we can isolate that, then it's a more customized treatment plan to help to manage the symptoms and treat, you know, underlying causes, whether that be with herbs, you know, homeopathy or um, nutrients of different kinds, and sometimes medications, if that seems to be fit. Very interesting, really fascinating. We're going to take a break here. We're talking with Dr. Talia Hale um, about mast cell activation syndrome and its impacts on long COVID and many other diseases. So uh, stay tuned and we'll be right back. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Hi, welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Talia Hale, who is an expert in mast cell activation syndrome, which is when the immune system goes askew and uh, we have big ramifications with a lot of organ systems and it can also be implicated in long haul COVID. So Dr. Talia, welcome back. And um, you mentioned the importance of the intestinal connection to mast cell activation. What probiotics do you recommend or what can we do about that? Yeah, so, you know, probiotics are a really interesting topic when it comes down to mast cell activation. And I'd say similar to SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, some patients actually find that they feel worse on their probiotics than better. And reason being is that there are certain strains of probiotics to avoid in someone with mast cell activation. And then there's other um, probiotics that would actually help to reduce histamine in the gut. Um, because just like I said at the very beginning, we have a really high concentration of mast cells within our gut lining because it is interacting with the outside world. So I think that's something really interesting. And I remember when I first learned like probiotics can make people worse, I just thought about SIBO, but then, you know, my eyes opened up to this histamine component as well. So um, some of the big popular probiotics, I would say, like lactobacillus acidophilus. Um, That's actually histamine neutral. Then there's lactobacillus lactis and lactococcus lactis, which are both histamine neutral as well. Then the big ones to avoid are lactobacillus bulgaris, lactobacillus casei, 
and lactobacillus reuteri. So that's actually a really common one that you'll see as well as streptococcus thermophilus. So lactobacillus reuteri is used actually quite commonly in many probiotics. Um, but in the situation of histamine, that may not work so great. Um, and then there's... Well, and reuteri oh. is very often recommended to women with... Um, Absolutely. With vaginal issues, with um, urinary tract infections, um, um, interstitial cystitis, that kind of thing. And so some some people are recommended to take that one very heavily. Yeah, and a lot of people with interstitial cystitis also have mast cell activation. So again, you know, different different things are for different people, and that's where it needs to be personalized. And there's no hard and fast rules here, but these are the ones that we typically see being supportive. But Bifidobacteria infantis, Bifidobacteria longum, Lactobacillus caseri, um, Lactobacillus rhimnosus, Lactobacillus plantarum, Lactobacillus salivaris. Those are all actually really supportive strains. So I'd say the list is longer of support than not, but some people do need to take a look at their probiotics and see if that jives with histamine issues, if that's something that they're battling. Now, one thing that I think would be really important to highlight too is not all mast, all, not all mast cell activation syndrome is just histamine. So, you know, these histamine and the muscles can be um, stimulated by other um, food-based chemicals, we'll call them, or food-based constituents. Um, for example, very rarely some patients will be sensitive to what they call salicylates. How most people know salicylates is aspirin, which is 100% salicylic acid. Um, but salicylates are actually started off in plants. Um, and some patients find that they'll get very similar histamine reactions with salicylates. On another note, there's also oxalates. And oxalates can be, um, can be sourced from food heavily, as well as um, some organisms um, in the gut can also um, build up salicylates. Um, so those are other things that can actually at, affect mast cells and create a histamine response that are not necessarily histamine related. So sometimes I've had to look at somebody's diet and they're not actually reacting as much to the histamine foods that are reacting to other foods in these other categories. So it's, again, not everyone needs just a low histamine diet or not everyone needs exactly, you know, a lower histamine component. They may need other aspects that need to be adjusted as well. And, you know, this is such an important point, you know, getting back to the probiotics, because I think a lot of people assume all probiotics are good and, you know, and appropriate to every situation. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, people take 50 billion of something and they're like, oh, it's 50 billion. It's good. But, you know, <laughs> we don't really actually understand our microbiome as well as we would like to. I believe like the biome project, you know, where we studied the microbiome and depthly started in 2006. So that's really not that long ago for us to start understanding our microbiome. And unfortunately, due to the toxins in our, in our world, you know, Western society isn't really a good sample of what a healthy microbiome is. So, you know, we're kind of at a difficult place because, you know, it's really hard to know what does healthy mean. And so as we start to accumulate more data and more information about our biome and what affects it, you know, probiotics and different things will need to change in order to meet where we're going. Well, and it's really true. You know, I, I used to be so excited by my favorite probiotic and, you know, and oh, here's 14 different strains. And then, you know, I read a study that that originally, um, you know, in, in cultures where they haven't been exposed to antibiotics and, you um, and they don't have a lot of pesticides and fungicides that they um, use uh, in their soil that people have 500 to 1000 different strains in their gut. So microbiome is definitely something on the cutting edge of functional medicine, to be sure. It's huge. And I mean, we use soil based probiotics, you know, um, as a supplement, but I mean, 
people used to eat dirt on their food, you know, and that would actually help the microbiome was eating that dirt. We used to have such a more diverse microbial environment. But the scary thing is, is if we were to go into that, you know, our biome wouldn't be able to adjust as readily because we haven't had that ongoing change. And I think that's something that's really interesting is that, you know, our biome, I think, changes within about three days of any dietary change. So there is always an adjustment period that your stomach actually needs and the bacteria needs to adjust to what you're consuming. Um, And I think that that's really fascinating because, you know, it just shows you how quickly we can actually change things. Yes, we've really, we've really mucked with things. That's to be sure. Yeah. Speaking of supplements, is there, are, are there any supplements that you generally find to be helpful for mast cell activation? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a number of different things that can be really helpful. I do utilize probiotics in assisting in histamine issues. Um, but outside of that, you know, there's a couple favorites that I would say I have. Um, one is actually holy basil. Um, holy basil is has wonderful antihistamine properties, but it's also really beautifully what we call adaptogenic, which means it adapts to where your body is from a stress function and just supports you. So I think that's the really beautiful thing about what we call this class of adaptogens is it really adapts to where your body is and just balances you back out. But holy basil, I've been a huge fan of um, when it comes down to histamine issues, and I've seen a lot of benefit with it. Um, And that certainly helps the adrenals as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And another really powerful one is quercetin, um, which is a bioflavonoid, um, which is, you know, helps with antioxidant properties and different things. But quercetin is a very powerful histamine supporter in terms of reducing histamine. And they've done studies where they found that quercetin is actually just as effective as a commonly used medication called chromalin sodium. Now, I love using chromalin sodium too, but um, quercetin is a really great natural agent that serves a lot of the same purposes. Um, So I think that's a really wonderful one. And then um, pantothene is another one I really like, and that's one of our vitamins. Um, And what I like about pantothene is it helps to move um, histamine down an easier pathway to get um, broken down and detoxified. Which is so useful. Which is super useful. And pantothene is also adrenally supportive. Um, it does help the adrenal glands to balance out a little bit better as well. Do you use the methylated B vitamins very much? I do, but I use them in very low doses. Um, if you overmethylate someone, people can get overstimulated. Oftentimes when I'm working with this is going to get complicated, but with the methylation cycle, I oftentimes actually start with what helps toxins get out of the body easier. So I start with like magnesium and B6 and glutathione um, first before adding in like methyl B12 or folic acid, um, because I like to help things get out of the system because sometimes um, the methylated vitamins can turn the gears and create a little bit more toxicity um, in the process. I think that one of the big takeaways here is really the complexity of it, the subtlety of it, and how you have to do the right things in the right order. Yeah. And I think with methylation, you want to open the spigot. So you want to open, if the spigot's not open and you're not getting it out, it's not super helpful. But and I think just like you said, like everything works in concert, you know, that we don't have one thing that, you know, makes everything better. Um you know, we do have to look at a complex of things to bring it all together. You know, I, I, I love so much watching how you work with the most difficult cases. And I have so much respect for that. Um, Can you tell us about some of your other specialties besides mast cell activation? Yeah. So besides mast cell activation, I work with um, mold illness. So patients who are affected by moldy buildings. And I think that's something that also um, got more attention during the pandemic. You know, when people were staying at home, 
and not going to their offices and not traveling as much, a lot of people found that they started to feel worse just staying at home. Either that was weight gain or um, headaches or, you know, difficulty with memory or changes in digestion or airway function. Um, Mold can actually be impacting multiple systems, just like mast cell activation can. And again, because people were spending so much time at home, if their home was affected by water damage in the past, um, a lot of patients found that they started not feeling very well. And so a lot of people figured out that they had a component of mold illness from that process. While other people who were getting sick, maybe from their offices, when they stayed home, they started to feel a lot better. So that's another condition that I look at in the complex of pieces. Um, And then um, I also look at chronic infections as well. So just like I said, you know, we as docs who treat chronic complex conditions, we're ready for COVID because we've treated things like Lyme disease and the co-infections that are associated with that, as well as like chronic viruses. So um, those are kind of the parts and pieces that I do. And I still help people with their hormones and digestive issues as well. Cause as you know, it's all related and it comes down to the environment and supporting the environment as much as we can. So we can step in and, and work with these issues. Anything else you'd like to add as we wrap up for today, Dr. Talia? I don't think so. I think you did a great job of hitting all the marks. Well, I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, It's really been fascinating. And I have to say, I learned several things from you as well. Um, Thank you so much again. This has been Dr. Talia Hale um, talking about mast cell activation syndrome. And thank you for joining us today on Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille, and I look forward to speaking with you next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration.